Come on, wherever you're at, would you raise your hands this morning and just worship him? Sometimes I think we get into church and we're waiting for the next series. We're waiting for the next word. We're waiting for the next song. Let me tell you something this morning. In case you don't know, there's an altar up here right now. You don't have to wait on the perfect thing. If you feel that God is moving you, God's talking to you, you shouldn't stand there. There is nothing that I can say as a pastor, as a preacher, that, that goes over whenever God speaks to your heart. There is an altar that is built for you and God is saying, hey, I want you to come. If you're here this morning while they continue to sing, you say, hey, God, you know what? I feel you dealing with me. I'm not going to wait for the next series. I'm not going to wait for the next song. I'm not going to wait for the next beat. Hey, the altars are open this morning. It's time to talk to Jesus right now. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, you don't have to wait on the next thing. you got to right now, God is speaking to you. I want somebody in this house to say, God, I know it's you. God, talk to me this morning, Lord. I'm here for you, Jesus, not just to hear a preacher get up or a song be sung, God, but I'm here to reach out and touch you. gratification for who he is for what he's done for the wonderful gifts that he has given Lord we worship you Jesus worthy is the name of the Lord worthy is the name of the Lord worthy is your name such a sweet wonderful presence of the Lord in the house this morning amen amen hey there is nothing like gathering together in the presence of Jesus we can gather in the presence of each other all the time, but whenever you gather in the presence of who Jesus is, it's something special. It's something different. It means something different. It's not the same as me going over your house. For the next, for this week and a Sunday after this week, we're going to be talking about a subject called how to build an altar. This Sunday, next Sunday, evangelist Jeremy Ivy will be here, and the Sunday after, I will continue with that. If you would do me a favor, bring the house lights back up a little bit. Jaden, would you bring my stand for me, please? Men, if y'all would come forward, you can be seated. Mike and Terry are in Colorado today, snowmobiling, and I'm sure he's watching, so I want y'all to know somewhere in Colorado, there is a right break. Yes, please. That is not being used. If you're new here and you don't know why, come back next Sunday. You'll find out. I'm happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. How about y'all? Thank you so very, very much, Jaden. 
I do want to uh, tell you what, let's, let's pray over this offering before we go any further. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless those who have to give and those that don't. I pray, Jesus, that we would do our duty as a sacrifice of praise and a sacrifice of giving. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Gentlemen, y'all go ahead. As they are going, hey, there's a few announcements I do want to make. This Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we will be having another um, small group leader training at 7 o'clock on Zoom. If you missed last Wednesday, we do have it also on video. We can email it to you in case you uh, missed it. Also, if you see in the back, there are some tables set up with some small groups on them. This Sunday and next Sunday are going to be small group sign-ups. So please go back there, find a group, sign yourself up, sign your family up for it. On the 18th, we have the youth rally coming up. Somebody say amen. Let's try that again. We got the youth rally coming up. Say amen. It's going to be awesome. We have a lot of churches that are involved, and I am asking church body, we could use some help. And if you are able to do that, please talk to Chelsea so that she can get you involved in any way possible. Where is, baby, what am I missing? I feel like there's about 10 things that I'm supposed to say that I'm not. That's it. Say again. Crawfish Festival. Date? 26th of March. We, we, so Jimmy's. All y'all know who Jimmy's is. If you don't know who Jimmy's is, you're not from Molino. Jimmy's has a crawfish festival they're doing for missions to raise money for missions. And it's crawfish. Come on, somebody. The Holy Ghost will be there before y'all ever get there because it's crawfish. Come on, somebody. Let's try this. I am Cajun. I'm from Louisiana. I like crawfish, okay? But they're doing a crawfish bowl for missions. What better can you give to Jesus than mud bugs? Come on, somebody. No, they're doing a crawfish bowl for missions, and they will need help. We need help from parking cars to setting up to breaking down. We need help for the crawfish bowl. And please, if you go into the Church Front app, you can sign up to volunteer for that event. We got some guys. We need some people early, early in the morning. All you early risers that know how to boil crawfish, know how to carry a crawfish, please. And, and Jimmy is also Jimmy would you raise your hand this morning Jimmy is here this morning so if y'all have anything y'all give him a hand this is a man that chose to take his business and open it up for money for missions not only that he got really good food <laughs> it's a church that likes to eat <laughs> amen you know I, the, the, y'all have heard me say recently how that God had been dealing with me, and I'm going to be very just laid back this morning for a little while. Is that okay with y'all? Yeah. Famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> but God's been dealing with me for a while about the cycle of the church and about how that we can get stuck in cycles. And God started dealing with me probably about three or four months ago about this message called How to Build an Altar. And I'll be honest with y'all, I had no clue what direction it was going to go or what I was supposed to do or say. I, just, I woke up and it was like, how do you build an altar? 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 Well, what y'all don't know is I took two years of the tabernacle. Two years in seminary was nothing but studying the tabernacle. One of the most phenomenal things I'd ever done, but I was like, Lord, this is not really the tabernacle. It's an altar. What do you want me to do? And I discovered in time that, that the, 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 the cycle was found in the tabernacle. So this morning, I know this is just like a random, it's a random Sunday in March. We're going to learn something. Amen? 
Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to learn something. All right. The first thing you're going to learn is about Boudreaux and Thibodeau, though. There's a story in Louisiana about Boudreaux and Thibodeau and Boudreaux. They was building a house together. Somebody say build it. If you're going to build it, you got to build it. And Boudreaux was up there on the ladder, and he would pull a nail out of his bag, and he'd throw it over his shoulder. He'd take the next nail, he'd nail it in the house. Pull the next nail out, he'd throw it over his shoulder. Pull the next one, throw it over his shoulder, and he'd take the next one, he'd nail it in the house. Thibodeau said, man, what are you doing? He said, tea. He said, I got bad nails. He said, bad nails? They used? He said, no. He said, I pull them out, and he said, they face in the house, I nail them. He said, they facing towards me to point the wrong way. He said, I throw it over my shoulder. He said, Boudreaux, you are so stupid. He said, there's nothing wrong with them nails, man. He said, what you mean there's nothing wrong? He said, no, nah, man. He said, them nails is for the other side of the house. <laughs> All right, y'all ready for the word of God? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start reading at verse 22. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 22, I firmly believe that I have a word from God this morning. And I also believe that it's going to shape some people's relationships in this building. It's going to shape your relationship with God for the rest of your life. Amen? I want to prepare us by this scripture in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 22. I'm going to be a little more preachy than I am teachy. I can tell already, so y'all get ready. Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, and the Lord said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. You saw for yourself that I spoke to you from heaven. Remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold or Facebook or Instagram. I'm sorry. To remember, to rival me. Verse 24, he said, build me an altar. Look at your neighbor and say, build for me. Look at him again and say, build for him an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me. He said, your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle, build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered. And I will come to you and I will bless you. If you choose stones to build my altar, use only natural, uncut stones. Do not shape the stones with a tool. For that would make the altar unfit for holy use. For the next three hours and 45 minutes, if y'all don't worship and say amen, I'm a hollaback preacher. If you don't hollaback, I will keep going. Come on, somebody. We're going to preach a message called How to Build an Altar. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the next portion of this, for your word, God. Your worship, we gave you worship. God, I pray now that your word would speak to our hearts. Change us. Let it be that knife. Let it be that dividing line. Let it be that blessing. Let it be that encouragement. Do what only, what only your word can do in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Do me a favor. I want you to find seven people. Get up. Stand up. Turn around. Find seven people and tell them we're going to build something. Don't act like y'all are shy. Find out who all was honest here in a little bit. 
Let me get, can I get, can I get two people just to help me for a minute? Give me two people. Don't care who you are. One, where's two? There we go. Number two, right there. Come on, big boy. Hold that for me. I got to know which one is which or else I'll get it confused. A to the left. Stand down there. You already, you make me look like a midget. <laughs> Here we go. How to build an altar. Thank you, baby. I love building stuff with you. Mm. It's my truth. In the culture of our world today, the word altar, altar, has been confused with the word altar. A-R and E-R. Now, I said it to myself about 5,000 times and tried to differentiate the two. Altar. 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 I said, there's no way I'm going to fix this while I'm preaching. So I asked my wife, I said, would you make me two signs? One that says A-L-T-A-R. One that says A-L-T-E-R. And I wrote it down, and when I put it in my notes, I capitalized the A-R and the E-R. I was like, whoa. Huh. And A-R. Men, what do we think about? That's right, real men, they know, AR-15. And the ER, ladies. Something wrong. We got problems. There's a difference in the two. And whenever I, I read this, I went and looked it up to see what Webster thought about it. Altar, altar, a place of memorial or sacrifice. Altar. E-R, he said a change or a cause to change in character or composition, typically in a comparatively small but significant way. And I thought to myself, Pensacon. <laughs> you can put them down. Thank you. That's all I need to write there. Just set up, set up, set them on the front of the stage. There we go. Look at that. Fancy, fancy. I thought to myself, who all here knows what Pensacon is? Other than me. Pensacon. Look, Mason's hand went up first. He's like, <laughs> Mason, you don't know. We made jokes. They were like, Mason's going to be, he's going to be the first one. What, what was Pensacon? Pensacon is, is a, a thing where people show up and they dress up like characters. And, and people look at it and they go, why are you dressing up? A grown man adult dressing up like an avatar. But the funny thing is, is I get to stand up here on Sundays and I watch people show up to church all the time dressed like themselves, but a completely different person than what God called them to be. It's not the AR and the ER. What it is, is it's that we got it confused in our mind of how that we are show, supposed to show up. And sometimes we end up sacrificing the wrong thing. We end up showing up and sacrificing what God did not intend because we didn't show up all with an altar, but we showed up all turd. A complete different thing. The AR by itself gives way to the thought of an AR-15, which is a weapon. The ER by itself gives way to the thought of something that needs repair. It gives thought of something that has pain. Though it may be something small, it can create a change in your character. Am I the only person who's ever had a paper cut? My wife, we're walking down the beach last week because we love each other. And she got this little bitty tiny sliver of wood in her toe. And I mean, just, it was like the size of a hair about that long. It was barely underneath the skin. I mean, you could see it from top to bottom, and she stopped. So what's wrong? Sticking my toe. So we look like some goofballs, because I'm down there almost trying to dig a sticker out of her toe with my teeth. <laughs> and we get all of it out, except for just, I'm talking like, 
It had to have been like mustard seed sized. This little bitty piece. And she said, oh, it'll work itself out. Don't worry about it. And then yesterday, she came walking in, and she was walking weird. And I said, what's going on? She said, that little bitty tiny thing, she said, my whole foot is throbbing. Whenever you have the A-L-T-E-R, when you show up to God, even the smallest thing, when you show up in a way that, that, that you weren't intended or God did not, then all of a sudden it can turn itself into an emergency. Some of the smaller things that you think really don't matter all of a sudden become very important. Hey, can I make a request before we go any further? At the very end of this service, I'm going to ask that nobody jumps up and leaves the room. Can I do that? Y'all agree with me? Now, if you got to use the bathroom, get up right now. <laughs> Now's your shot because I don't want you to get up at the end of this sermon. Keep going. All right, A-R-E-R, -E a single letter change that makes a world of difference. Now, I want to talk about, for just a minute, the weapon of the A-R. Not the A-R-15, the weapon of the altar. Look at your neighbor and say, let's shoot something. I believe if there is ever a time that the church needs to understand 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, it's now. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God in the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, we are in a time in the world that we could be facing World War III. This is a time of importance. It's a time where the things are shifting and things are changing. And I believe that the church as a whole needs a weapon. Come on, somebody. We need a weapon to defend the word. We need a, a weapon to defend the relationship that God has called us to, to be in relationship with him. Now, I must start out first by giving you a little history. There were three main types of altars that were mentioned in the Bible. One was used for sacrifice. One was used for worship. And one that was used as a memorial. Three different types. Sacrifice. This is a place where animals were slain for an atonement to sin. Worship, where incense was burned. And it created a sweet-smelling savor that was given to worship, or as worship unto God. And we have the altar of memorial. I believe in today's world and in this church, there are people who have memorialized things that should have been sacrificed. I believe that we have memorialized past sin whenever it should have been burnt on an altar of sacrifice. I believe that, that we can memorialize people that really and truthfully, what God needed you to do was put it on an altar and let it go. Like the prophetess Elsa said, let it go. I believe that, that we, we, there, there are past places that we have been emotionally, spiritually, financially, physically that, 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 that really and truthfully should have been sacrificed on the altar. Uh, 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 but instead, we, 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 we allow them to become a memorial in our lives. We should have given it to God, but we chose to keep it as a memorial. We use memorials, you see, as weapons. We use memorials as weapons. I remember that time that he. I remember what that, I remember what that church. I remember whenever she cheated. I remember whenever they took all my we, we memorialize things that should have been sacrificed. And we weaponize what should have been sacrificed. I believe that there are people who have sacrificed things that should have been memorialized. That time that God healed you. 
when God saved you, when he changed your family, when he put your family back together, when he brought you back into his house, it should have been something that you remembered and say, I know I can because God. I know that I will because. Past wins, past purpose, past product. It should be a memory that reminds us of the goodness of God. But sacrifice to the altar of self. God healed me. God saved me. But I don't walk as a person that's been healed or saved. Instead, we have sacrificed what should have been a memorial. We have the ability by building the wrong altar. By building the wrong altar. To alter what God has created and his intent for our lives. It happens in marriage. It happens in families. It happens in finance. That we, we make the mistake and we alter the things to fit our own ideology. Now, I want you to remember what we have in this scripture in Exodus. It's really stating in Genesis as a worship system. It was originally created as a worship system designed by God that involved an altar. So, for those of you who are new, because believe it or not, we have people here who know nothing about the Bible. Let me help you. Before the crucifixion, and something we will talk about week after next, as to what the product and the end result of the tabernacle was. But before Jesus was crucified, there was a system by which the people's sins could be forgiven. Because you have to understand, before Jesus died, you couldn't just, God, forgive me. There was a system that was created for sacrifice. And the altar, or the brazen altar, was, it was a place that, that several different things could take place. And there was a tabernacle that was created. There was a tabernacle that was created. It was a, there was a, a tent that was created that could be moved around. And this tent that could be moved around, it had a specific system to it and a, and a way that things worked that would give you the ability to, to have your sins rolled ahead. It was a... It was a place, really, of worship. It was a place where you could find forgiveness. A structure on which that they could recognize and worship God in a way that was acceptable to Him. This was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of redemption. And it was a place of memorial. The truth is, is that it was a simply stated, it was a place of exchange. Look at your neighbor and say, a place... Of exchange. It was where the divine and the created had the ability to communicate. This is where the altar was. It was inside this place that, that we had the ability to communicate. It was inside this, this tabernacle that they had the ability. That is where the altar was held. The construction of the altar was very specific. It was very specific. How it was to be built was very specific of that specific altar. Now, we got to go back because I've got to explain a few things. The instructions were given by Moses. Now, y'all, two years of seminary, studying nothing but the tabernacle. Nothing but. And I read it again this week. And because I like to see things in living color, my wife pulled out a book. It's like a picture book for children, to be honest with you. And I looked at the tabernacle and I read the part about the law. Now, let me explain something. Everybody here knows about the Ten Commandments. 
The one thing we don't talk about a lot is 613 laws that came from it. 613 laws that came behind the tent. And I asked myself the question. I said, okay, Brandon, answer this. Who wrote the 613 laws that Moses put out about the Ten Commandments? Was it God or was it Moses? And I went back and forth. Was it God? Was it Moses? Did God know? God wrote the Ten Commandments. And, and I know that, that, that Moses wrote the 613 laws, but, but where did he get them? Because if it was that important to God, why didn't he etch 613 plus 10? 623. For all of you that are trying to add it up in your head all of a sudden. And it bothered me. And then I look in the book of Revelation, and I, I look in the book of Exodus, and I see where somebody screwed up, and at some point, Jesus called it their law. Called it their law. And I said, well, hang on. I thought it was your law. Where did this law come from? So I want y'all to know this entire message is because pastor didn't have a good answer to a question. That's where all this came from. I was like, I don't know. I'm supposed to be the pastor. God, you better help me. Don't let me lead somebody wrong. Which way was it? Instructions were given by Moses. Moses comes up on the Mount of Sinai. God gives him the Ten Commandments and he comes back down. And biblically, God begins to speak through Moses to the people. What was created was a list of 613 laws. These were laws given by Moses so that the people would maintain a lifestyle that would not break the ten. What is the objective of the 613 laws? It was to keep you righteous so that you wouldn't break the commandments. It was a, it was a, it was a law. There were laws that would keep you in righteous standing, in relationship to keep you from breaking the commandments of God. The law of Moses is a beautiful thing when regarded correctly. Even David said, oh, how I love thy law, but he broke a commandment. More than one. How in the world, David, can you love the law but break the commandments? David, are you a liar? So explain something to me. The law of Moses is a beautiful thing, it says, when regarded correctly. The issue became when the law was twisted. It was twisted to the point that people began to consider themselves righteous. To the point to where that the law became the commandments. And the commandments became something that was protected by the law. At some point, the law giver became the law judge. It's a dangerous place that a church can get into. It's a dangerous place that a pastor can get into. It's a dangerous place that you as the church personally can get into whenever you feel that your walk with the word is also the judgment of other people. Come on, somebody. There's a lot of you here that didn't go to church for many years of your life because you got sick and tired of being judged by law takers. Come on, y'all can, you can clap your hands. Y'all know it's the truth. Okay, maybe not. Moving on. This is the joy of having a microphone. It's like, Lord, what did I say? Jesus referred to the law as your law in John chapter 8, verse 17, while they were calling it their law in John 7, 51, and in John 19 and 7. They confused. And it was something, and it bothered me. I was like, God, you spoke through Moses. How is it that you could separate yourself from your own word? You gave him the law. He spit it out. And how is it that you took your word and said it's their law? It's not true, God. We had this conversation this week. Why? Let me tell you something. It's simply because of this. They took the law of God and they made it their law. And in case y'all don't know, I don't believe in eternal 
salvation as the Baptists do. Simply played just like this, in case you're wondering why. I believe that once you are saved, yes, you are always saved until you get up and walk out of the hand of God. You see, you have the choice as to whether or not you want to be saved. you got the choice whether or not you want to go to heaven or hell. It, it, it happens in your actions. You can choose whether or not. And unfortunately, I, 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 watched, I watched the demonic force that can surround an incorrect teaching of this subject line. Whenever I was a young man, I went to Beckwith Christian Academy, and I watched a pastor get up, and I watched him talk about eternal salvation, no matter what happens, no matter where you're at, no matter what kind of drug addiction you're in, rejection of God. If you've ever accepted him, you can still be saved. And I watched over the next two weeks as three kids kill themselves. And I watched as a pastor had to walk to the pulpit, and he had to change his story. I asked him, well, I love you. Why would you say that? I said, how is it that you believe that? He said, no. He said, the truth is, he said, is I believe that if they, if they do that, that they were never saved in the first place. And I got sick to my stomach. Maybe sick to my stomach that someone would, because what happens whenever you get up and walk out of the hand of God? Don't give me some, some change of the law that becomes your own law to where now that you say, oh, well, they weren't saved. Because now you've got to be the judge of what is good and what is right. And let me tell you something, preacher, if you don't know it, you are not the judge. And I'm going to look right at the end of the camera for any preacher that wants to hear this little preacher right now. You are not the judge. God is the judge of people. You are given two instructions, to love God and to love people. You better get up and preach the word of God like you've never known the word of God before. You better love righteousness. You better preach righteousness. You better preach holiness. And you better understand the nature and the character of who he is. I don't back down from the word of God because it's not my word, it's his word. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to slumber. I'm not going to back up. Some people ain't going to like it. I don't care. Let me tell you something. It's not me. I was designed to love God and to love people. His word was designed to divide. And the only way, the only way you're really going to fall in love with his word is the day that you learn to love the sacrifice at an altar. The day that you learn what it is to build a place of sacred where it's just me and God. God, I, I, it bothers me. I'll be honest with y'all as a preacher. It bothers me sometimes whenever, whenever I look into the Word of God and I see all the specifics. I see that, that it, was, it, was, it was the type of material. It was the placement. It was the tool. How it was to be built. The acacia wood. It was, it was the overlayment of brass or gold. And I see all these specific things. It talks to me about the nature and character of God. Now look at the world that we live in today. And it's all about love. Oh, just love him. I believe that as a church we have the ability to miss who God really is. That God wants specific things from you. Yes, I know what happened at the veil, and we're going to talk about it at that in two weeks. I know what happened whenever he, I know what he did, but let me tell you something. There's a nature to God. And that nature is found at an altar. Look at your neighbor and say, let's build an altar. You see, the law was never meant to save men. It was not the intent of the law. The law was never meant to save men, but to show them their need to be saved. Why do we go to church? Church can't save you. In case you don't know it, church can't save you. 
That's the same thing as church. The objective of church is the reason why we gather together. is so that you can have a brother or a sister who can look at you and say, I love you. Let's build a kingdom of God together. It's not a place of isolation. It shouldn't be a place of, of you trying to build your own kingdom, but it should be a place where you can get in community with God. This is what this is all about. The objective of the law was to lead them to Christ. Let me tell you something. You, your person, you are a church. Individually, when you go home, your church goes home. When you go to work, your church goes to work. When you go to the bathroom, the church wipes its own tail. You are the church. We get confused and we think that the law applies to the body and not to individual. We get confused and think that the truth in the word applies to the body and not to you personally. We get confused as to the direction that we must walk to, into salvation, into righteousness, into holiness. And it begins to apply to the church. And I know for some of you who are here, you're like, holy smokes, this guy does not normally preach like this. What happened? We're changing gears. Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, we're changing gears. This is where religion and relationship meet. The law was never meant to save men, but to show them their need to be saved. The objective of the law was to lead them to Christ. This is the place where religion and relationship meet. The issue and the problem is not, nor ever has been, religion. Pastor, how can you say that? You constantly complain about religion. The problem's not religion. It's you. It's me. It's what we did with it. The problem is not religion. It's the church. What happened? We took the law and we made it the commandments. We became the judge of what was right. There are thousands of people who will not attend church today. I dare say millions because the church took what was meant to make you righteous and made it salvation. People trying to build their salvation and can't get past the law of religion to find the salvation of relationship. Let me help you out in case you are that person. If you don't know what to build on, I'm going to read a little scripture that will help you. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. This is the stone. He said, the, not any stone, he said this is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name among, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they said, what do you know? You're just Peter and John. You're some fishermen from nowhere. All you are is a farmer from Molino. All you are is a lady that works for a company that has a bank. All you are is a guy that chases cows around. All you are but they looked at him and they said, who are you? They marveled. And all of a sudden, the Bible says they took knowledge of them <laughs> because they'd been with Jesus. How is it that a guy who came out of addiction, alcoholism, married multiple times, I mean, all of this junk in my, how is it that I can, let me tell you something, it's because I spent time with Jesus. It's because I don't mind getting on my knees. I'll lay on my face. I'll cry. I'll weep. I'll have an emotional connection to a Savior who can only do what he can do. How does it happen? How is it that somebody will listen to me, just a poor sinner, because I know and they know that I've spent time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. 
how the altar was built. It made a statement as to its purpose. How you build your life in prayer will make a statement as to your purpose. We have a habit sometimes of just saying, God, forgive me. Got to worship you. There's a place of sacrifice that was built for more than just one thing. And I'm going to talk about it for a minute. So we have Moses with these Ten Commandments and 613 laws that are to keep you righteous so that you won't break the law. Now, here is the amazing part. God also combined with the law a system of sacrifice to redeem. He he created a system also to redeem them that he knew they couldn't live up to the law. Just as God knows, you can't live up to everything I'm preaching. Can't. I'll be honest with y'all. I can't either. Oh, Pastor, you're not supposed to say that. Yeah. Get over yourself and get over me. Stop looking at me and look at Jesus. Here is the amazing part. It's that he created a place of recompense, a place where he said, I know you're going to screw up. You were born in sin and shame. I'm going to make you a new creature, but whenever that new creature falls, he says, I I can do something. He created a system. This system, it revolved around one thing. Look at your neighbor and say, the altar. A system where an animal could be sacrificed and the sins of a person or people could be temporarily atoned. God gives them the how to build it. He gave them the where to build it. It was a very specific thing. There is no way that I can talk about the altar, though, without talking about the tabernacle. There's no way. Now, if you could imagine, and, and, and if I was a better planned preacher and a guy who loves props, I'd have a lot of them here today. I don't. Get over it. Y'all all got an imagination. I see your husbands. Okay? Like, just... Can y'all, can y'all imagine with me for a little while? I'm not looking at the men right now. Jesus. The tabernacle, if you can imagine a rectangular building, when you first walked into it, there would be a short yard, and inside this yard would be a place where cattle and sheep would gather for sacrifice. When you walk past this area, the very first thing that you would walk up to was the brazen altar, if you would pull up a picture for me. This was a very specifically built piece of equipment. The brazen altar was a place, the first place of offering. It was a place for sin or guilt offering, offerings, a place for payment of damage. It was a place of burnt offering, explaining or giving reason to complete surrender and not just forgiveness. You see, we wanted to show up to the altar and just ask God to forgive us. But you see, there's a different purpose for the altar. He said sin or guilt, payment for damage. That's generally what we approach God with. God, I hurt something. I hurt somebody. I did something wrong. I need forgiveness. I've got sin in my life. But there's a place also of a burnt offering, a different type of offering. Complete surrender, not just forgiveness. I want to encourage somebody this morning. You've been going to God over and over and over again and offering an offer of forgiveness. You say, God, I just I got a sin or a guilt offering. I need you to forgive me. Let me tell you something. This morning, this week, this time, this place in your life is a time where some of you need to put some things on the altar and you need to let it be consumed. You need to let it go up in smoke. You need to let it go until you can't, it ain't nothing but ash anymore. 
God, I don't want just forgiveness, but I'm surrendering it to you. It's a place of gain, grain offering. This is an offering of thankfulness. Sometimes I go to God and I just, God, I'm giving you a sacrifice of thankfulness. Appreciate. And it was also a place of a grain offering and fellowship offering. How in the world is a fellowship offering? Y'all don't know this, but the reason why quite often I ask everyone to come to the front and put your hand, y'all know what that is? It's a fellowship offering. It's biblical. It's found back in Exodus. It's a place where they would come together and they would sacrifice together. Some of the meat would go on the altar. Some would be shared with one another. They would be able to not only commune and eat with one another, but they would also have the ability to commune with God. It's a place of fellowship that happens at an altar. Whenever you leave the, 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 the altar, the, the, the bronze, the very next thing that you'll come to was the laver. Now, for those of you who don't know what a laver is, it was a sink. Had water inside, big bowl. There you go. You got to think from a place of sacrifice, there's a priest who has blood all over his hands. He smells like a goat. He got bull between his fingers. We're going to pray for y'all. You giggled. They had to show up. They got to wash. It's a labor. It's a place, and it signifies the washing. This is the reason why we have something called baptism that takes place, a biblical command that takes place. The labor, cleansing through the confession. Next behind that, there was a rectangle, if you can imagine, with another rectangle inside of it. That was called the holy place. So here they are now. The labor sits right in front of the holy place. The holy place, for the record, is not where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's the most holy place. It's a room inside the room inside the room. Inception. So they're standing here, and now the next place that they walk into is into the holy place. When you walk into the holy place, it's beautiful. To the left, you have not candlesticks. Please do not call it candlesticks. Your pastor doesn't, I cannot stand it when people call them candlesticks. It's not candlesticks. They're not candles. What are they? Somebody help me. It's a lampstand. Thank you so very much. I love you so much. Because a candle has things that don't belong. And I cannot teach all of this. And y'all, when the day we go to Wednesday nights, y'all want to hear about the tabernacle? I'll give it to you. I, I love it. Stands the, and, and I looked at it. I said seven. You know, I'm trying to make it super holy. I was like seven. One center, three on each side. There's all in the bottom. I'm trying to make it. And I looked it up in the Bible to see really what the significant was, significance of the light. And the Bible says it was for light. <laughs> now, it does have meaning. I'll be honest with you, but I was a little disappointed that the writer couldn't do better than that. And I'll leave something up to my imagination. I'll preach it for two weeks. We're in the holy place. We've got a lampstand to our left and to our right. We have a table of shoebread. Table of showbread, there's 12 pieces recognizing and representing the 12 tribes of Israel. It's eaten by the priest, replenished once a week. It's representing the word of God, the bread of life, who Jesus was. Table of showbread, the life, the living word. If you continue past the lampstand to your left, table of showbread to your right, there's a curtain in front of you for the inner room. And in front of that curtain that goes from wall to wall without a seam, there's a little box. It's gold. It stands about this tall up in the air. Looks just like this. This was called the altar of incense. 
the altar of incense. Did you know that there was a, a single family who mixed, and they're known by name, who mixed the, 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 the incense that was to be burnt on that altar. It was very specific. Now, from the time that I was a child, I knew everything that I just told you because I was raised by a preacher and he was old school. Here's this curtain. It's purple, left, right, 15 feet wide. There's not a seam for a priest to get in. He's got to go around the outside edge. And once he goes inside, he's looking at the last piece of furniture. And it's not one, but it's two things in one. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's a mercy seat. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, we have three different objects. We have Aaron's rod. We've got manna. We've got the commandments of God. My entire life I was taught this as a way to approach God. And let me help somebody this morning. If you say, Pastor, I don't know how to get into the presence of God or I feel like God doesn't hear my prayers. This tabernacle was given as an example of how to find yourself in the presence of God. First starts with sacrifice. And in case you don't know it, sacrifice smells. It don't look the way you think. It doesn't smell right. It's not a place of comfort. Now, whenever you bring the animal to the brazen altar, it's your sheep, your goat, something that you've raised by hand. And, 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 and people seem to think that the priests know you had to lay your hand on the head of that animal while its throat was cut and blood poured out. What you were doing was transferring your sins to that animal. Call me weird, but it's the reason why I'm very careful about whose hand I, head I place my hand on. I'm very careful about who places their hand on my head. I was in church one time. young man came up to me, reached up, palmed my head. I almost snatched his arm off. I thought, I don't know what you got. I don't want it. Call me crazy. I believe in the Bible. It's a place of personal. One thing that we didn't know, or it's not talked about very much, is the altar of sacrifice was never lit by man. It was lit by God. God is the one who lit the brazen altar, the place of sacrifice. Church, let me help you with something. Some of you here, have been reaching for people and trying to reach even inside yourself, maybe for your own family. You've brought them to a place of sacrifice. you brought them to church. Hey, there is an altar. God wants to touch you. He wants to heal you. Let me tell you something. Unless the Spirit draws them, unless the Spirit, what happens is God has to light a fire. If you ever light a fire in their life yourself, what happens is you become the law. Now the 613 things that God's trying to do, that he's trying to bring them to righteousness. Now, all of a sudden, you became the commandments, and it is a very dangerous place. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. This applies to your spouse, your fiance, your boyfriend. You're I do, Pastor. You keep bringing them to the altar. You keep bringing them to the altar. The one you keep bringing them to the altar. The one thing about the altar that I loved is it was built to be mobile. You know what that means? They won't come to the altar. Build one at your house. They won't come to the altar. All I do is take them to school. Build an altar in the car. They, they, it's somebody at work. Build an altar at your desk. You build an altar at work. You build an altar wherever you're at. Because God said, if you bring them, I'll light a fire. I'll light a fire. Standing at this altar. Leave. 
Now we're at a place of baptism. I was taught this as a child. This is, this is an explanation of the washing that takes place. It's, it's not just the sins and the blood and everything that's happened in your past, but, but you need to have it washed away through baptism. Let me tell you something. If you've never been baptized before and you want to know more about it, come ask me. I'd love to tell you about it. It's wonderful. Now we're in the holy place. We understand the golden, the lampstand, and the oil, the light that's happened. We see the showbread, and we understand now that God is the bread of life. We walk up to the table of incense. Why, why, does, why does the altar of incense matter? It's a place of worship. It's a place of worship. Why is it that when I come to church, look, y'all, David has come in. He's such a wonderful guy. Man, we're so thrilled that you are here, David. Thank you so very, very much. My wife and I this week, we looked forward to one thing, and that was that this Sunday we have somebody on a soundboard. It's not me. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I said I get to walk to the front of the church and do this. You know why? Because that altar of incense was built for a purpose. And if I'm going to walk into the, the immaculate holy presence of who he is, it's going to happen through worship tell you something if you're here and you say, I just don't feel God like they do. I can't seem to get into his presence. Let me ask you this. When's the last time? God, if I could spend time in your presence, walk around. I said all of that to talk about this. The next section, what I'm fixing to be talking about for just a couple minutes here. If you're new to the church, probably ain't going to mean that much to you. Been around church for a while. You've seen churches grow and go. I want you to listen very intently. Two years spending time having pastors, preachers, theologians talk about the tabernacle and the importance of going from one end to the other. Never heard anybody talk about this. What happens whenever the priest is stood in the literal presence of God where the Holy Ghost says, come on them. And there's some of you here today, you know exactly because you stood where I'm talking about. The presence of God just from your, the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Nobody ever talked about the, the priest doing this. Pushing the curtain back. There's the altar. There's a lampstand, shoe bread, curtain, laver, altar of incense. And walking back to where the cows and the doves and the goats and the blood and the smell. What happens, church, is this is we get in love with being in the presence of God to the point that we forget that out here there's people who don't know about it. I was a part of an entire organization of churches. I'm not afraid or ashamed to say it. And if you have friends here who are watching who are part of the United Pentecostal Church International, I invite you to listen to what I'm saying because I firmly believe that it came from God. I was a part of an entire organization that lived its life 
right here. We wanted to have our hand on the Holy Ghost. We wanted to see the light of who he was in the bread. And we wanted to congregate. We ended up with thousands, if not millions of people, packed in one small room saying, oh, here's the presence of God. Speaking in tongues, the power that he gives. There is the light of Christ. And we tried to announce it from a place that was so separated it was not effective. If you could just see what he's like in here. Let, let me tell you about my God. Oh, the light of Christ is so great, the bread of life. Let me tell you something, and I'm not harping on those who have signed up to lead small groups, but I see it in churches. I've seen it in this church. You know why? Because you can't be in relationship with somebody without showing the Word of God down their throat. Pastor, you look like you're mad. I am. I'm sick and tired of the devil taking people and turning them into law givers and not, law, not, not commandment holders. I'm tired of seeing churches that are ineffective and people walking around aggravated because we don't know how to be in relationship with God and love somebody and hold them by the hand. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus never went out and said, you know what? Come to the temple. I'll talk to you. What he did is said, what you got? You got sin? Let me love you. I want to sit down with you. You're a drunkard? Hey, let's talk about it. You got a problem with prostitution? I love you. Who was Jesus? He was Jesus. He was a, he was a guy that said, no, 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 you ain't been married. You've been married multiple times. There's sin in your life. Who did he deal with? <laughs> he didn't deal with a woman. He dealt, he dealt with the religious people. Because God's intent, his plan, his purpose, what he wants for you, is that you go back. From here, because it's whenever you get back to here that you realize I'm no better. It doesn't smell right. And we walk back. God, as I help them bring their sacrifice of praise and giving and offering, maybe this time I'm not here. Maybe this time I'm not here. My purpose is, is, is not, it's not because I've done some great sin in my life, but God, this time I just want to give you an offering of thanksgiving. I want to give you a sacrifice of praise. You see, a sacrifice of praise and, and worship as an incense are two completely different things. Don't confuse it as the same. What happens whenever I wake up? Not a good day. Ain't much money. Matter of fact, ain't hardly none. Ain't much food. My wife and I aren't getting along. Because whenever I walk up the altar, I go, God, thank you. I love you. I worship you for what you've done. This is a sacrifice of praise because I know where I was. And then I walk forward. God, what brought me to the altar? I need you to wash me again. I need it out of my mind. I need it out of my head. I need it out of everything. Come on back, David. Hmm. Come on, whatever walk across this house, would you raise your hands right now?
God, wash me. When I leave this place, I walk into a holy place. I walk into a place where, again, in my life, I've got to recognize, God, you're still the light. The oil of your spirit that has shined in my life, God, it's still truth, God. Thank you for feeding me. I walk forward and now I'm standing in a place to where that it's just me and him. God, I just worship you. I give you the sacrifice of praise. I wash myself in recognition of who you are and what you've done. And there's nothing else, God, but just you. I walk from a place. of incense and worship into the actual presence of God. You see, when I get to the altar, the Ark of the Covenant, it's the first time I find the true, unadulterated mercy of God. Pastor, I've been in church a long time. Let me tell you, some of y'all, you've been involved in churches that, that have walked from the very beginning. Got to where I was at. One hand on the Holy Ghost. One hand on who He is. Some of you that spent your whole life in some type of an ethereal, everything, spirits and ghosts and let me tell you something, it's not the plan of God for your life. I'll probably be the first pastor in your life that's going to tell you this, but it's time to walk back to the pig pen. What are you doing? Church was never meant to be one-sided. It was never meant to be a place to where, to where that all we do is just stand in His presence and come to church. But let me tell you something, it was designed, it was designed that you go back Stand. I'm not going to make a big fanfare, but I'm going to tell you this. I built this stage for a reason. This stage is this height for a reason. You know why? It was high enough that people could come and kneel down. I wanted it high enough that the elders chose to would be high enough that they could help support themselves. Church, it's time to bring back the altar. It's time again to say, God, I'll give you all. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The front of this church is open right now. You say, there's somebody here this morning, you say, Pastor, I know what it was before to live in your presence. I used to spend time at an altar. used to love you in a place of sacrifice and worship. I invite you to get up from where you're at and come to this altar. Recommit yourself to God. Come on, don't let her be by herself. Somebody else, come on. Come on.
Come on, church. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I've never known God. I've never known Him like what you're talking about. Let me tell you something. This is the time. This is the place. (laughs) This is where you find God like you've never known Him before. This is the place where you recommit.
sacrifice of praise. God, no matter where we're at, open your mouth and talk to him. God, I know where I'm at. Lord, I give you a sacrifice of praise that you have done what only you can do. I trust you. I love you. I worship you. I'll live for you. Wash me. Can you do me one more favor? One more favor because he's a God who's worthy of worship. Can we send up a hand clap of praise to a God? Come on, this is how you find your way into the presence of God. This is how you find your way into the presence of God is when you begin to worship him for who he is. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus say this lastly as a pastor it's difficult sometimes because I don't want people to leave Kyle I'm just a poor old sinner what's amazing is the tabernacle was given and the purpose of it was a place of redemption so I don't want you to leave feeling like I'm a poor old sinner woe is me tell you something. What's amazing about it is this. You now know how to be redeemed. You now know how to be redeemed. You now know what it is to be able to lead somebody from the beginning to the end. You say, Pastor, you didn't give me scripture about being speaking in tongues and being baptized. No, let me tell you something. You're not the word. If I can lead them to Jesus, how can I do that? I can hold their hands and show them the presence of God. I can build an altar at my house. I can build an altar at my home. I can build an altar in my truck. I can build an altar in the woods sitting in a deer stand. That's what it's all about. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, God, the things that you've done today, (laughs) they are eternal. Thank you for speaking to my heart. Thank you for using my mouth. I pray, God, that as these people leave here, as they go back home, that you will do for them what you've done for me. 
May their words be words that drive them to righteousness and lead people into your presence. the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart. As a church, as CrossFit, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be holy and acceptable unto you. Everybody said in Jesus' name. One more time in Jesus' name. Can y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Because he's worthy, because he's awesome, because he gave us a way to be redeemed. We love you in Jesus' name. We pray, hey, I pray that you have a wonderful week. I pray that you, God blesses you. He keeps you. His face is going to shine on you. Whatever you need, he's got it for you. Hey, on the way out, be sure stop and look and sign up for a small group that will be more available probably next week as well. This Wednesday night, if you're going to lead a small group or you're still thinking about it, join us 7 o'clock on Zoom for small group leader training. I love y'all. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.